Hello and welcome. This is Rachel Amaday, and you are listening to The Spiritual Exercises. This is a podcast where we discuss, talk about, think on, and question our mainstream narratives regarding scripture and what might be in the Bible that we haven't seen before. This is about digging to something deeper and really trying to understand what God was actually saying to us, both from the context and the content of scripture, the language of it, but also some of the other deeper levels like mystery um, and analogy, those sorts of levels. So I'm glad you're here. This Monday, I have been so focused lately on so much of the dark things happening in the world because it's so obvious, right? There's been so much evil and wickedness that has been unleashed, I would say, especially in the last few years. And there definitely seems to have been a shift globally, not just in how people are behaving towards one another, but even in the believer's understanding of the world that they were actually living in, especially in the United States of America. And so it's very easy right now to watch what dark forces are doing to destroy and to bring division and to lead people astray. But if we're not focused on the Lord, we're going to lose all hope, right? And so this week, I thought I'd like to focus on something unbelievably beautiful that I've been thinking a lot about regarding our place in God's kingdom, who we're actually made to be and who our Heavenly Father is and why some of his characteristics are so astonishing and possibly one of these characteristics we'll discuss today that we're supposed to have, and it's mentioned in scripture a lot. I've titled this podcast, You Were Made to Glow, because I'm starting to realize that actually we were created to have the same sort of fire as our Heavenly Father does. We lost it in the garden, and we're going to look at that today. Um, I do just want to say thank you to those of you who have been listening, who have been sharing, who've purchased the book, and those of you who have purchased the paid version of this podcast where you're getting some extra content. I am so grateful. Honestly, I, I just want to share the gospel. I want to share the word of the Lord, the whole word. I want to be able to inspire people to love their Bibles again and to understand how true and miraculous scripture is. And so step by step, I am attempting to make this more of what I do for a living. And you know, I'm asking for the Lord's blessing. I'm asking for him to open the doors and for the Holy Spirit to do that work. Um, and he will do what he wants to with it. And that's exactly what I hope for. But in the meantime, I hope those of you who are listening, tuning in or paying for this, that you're being blessed by it as well. And I'm not just a talking head. I'm not just here to talk at you. I would love your feedback. I'd love to hear from you as well. Um, any ideas that you might have, any questions you might have, please feel free to reach out. And now, let's talk about how you were made to glow. According to Japanese research done in 2009, human bioluminescence invisible light exists. The human body, according to them, this is a quote, literally glimmers. 
The team from Tohoku Institute of Technology wrote in their study published in PLOS 1, and I quote, the intensity of the light emitted by the body is a thousand times lower than the sensitivity of our naked eyes, end quote. So while we can't visibly see the glow in our fellow humans, we do have this powerful draw to people who feel like light, don't we? Don't you just feel like some people glow? I have met believers who have that. My husband was just sharing this incredible story about this time period where he went to Africa and he worked at an orphanage down in Africa, and I believe it was in Tanzania. And he said the nuns who ran that orphanage, they practically glowed. They were so reliant upon the Lord for everything, and they so trusted in God. And they emitted something different and unique from most of the people that he has experienced since. We have a draw to people who are like that. And we have a human draw, a very biological draw to light. We know light is essential for growth of plants. It's essential for vitamin D production in our bodies. And it's essential for efficient work and outdoor activity. But have you ever wondered why humans are so obsessed with fire? Why have we historically been so attached to that which produces light, even when it's dark outside? Yes, fire is a useful tool. It's likely the first reason we believe it has been used for thousands of years to cook and warm, to destroy garbage, to cleanse. But what about the way the firelight flickers? The soothing and hypnotic effects of watching it dance in the night? What about what it can reveal? We also understand and fear fire's destructive qualities. In hours, it can devour a home, a tree, even a life. It is a marvelous example of the qualities we know that God possesses. God's laws and his ways, when followed properly, can be unbelievably useful and helpful. God in his very nature is saving. But when not followed properly, when we don't look at what he's actually asking us to do, that fire can also destroy and judge. Without some protective element, fire can be incredibly destructive. It's deadly, but fire has other qualities too. We're given a vision of fire in the New Testament in the coming of the Holy Spirit, people baptized by fire. And you either have the fire of the Holy Spirit or you don't. History and science reveal the need we have for light and fire and a human obsession with it. But why? And does the Bible give us any clues as to why light may just be so important? beyond what we've obviously been able to observe. The Psalms tells us that God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In Matthew 5, 16, Jesus tells us, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. In John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. We know from Genesis that before there was a son, God was the light. And we know that in the end, Revelation tells us that, quote, there shall be no more night and they will not need lamps or sunlight because the Lord God will be their light and they will rule as kings forever and ever. Have we ever considered our God is light? He is fire and we were originally made to be just like him. Douglas Hamp brings that issue to light, so to speak, as he posits that Adam and Eve had their own fire. This prevented them from being burned to a crisp when in the presence of God. There was no veil between heaven and earth in the Garden of Eden. There was complete 
access. The Holy of Holies was in the garden, and they communed with God face to face. I find this really deepens that moment, that moment when they realize their nakedness. They see they're uncovered and they hide. Did they know that at that point, the power of God could destroy them in a second? Did they understand that they had lost their glow? What all did they really lose when the fall took place? I'm curious as to some of these deeper issues that may be taking place in this ancient story. Either way, we know from later stories with Moses and with Aaron's sons and with the coming of the Holy Spirit in Acts that God has this fiery element to his being, and he cannot help but be destructive to those who enter his presence ill-prepared. His full presence destroys all who have no covering. In the case of Aaron's sons, the two brought something the Bible calls strange fire into the presence of God. Whatever that strange fire was, it did not align with the protocol God had laid out. Unfortunately, and fortunately, God decided not to tell us the specifics of the strange fire, leaving it to us to understand perhaps there's a broader lesson here. Perhaps it's not about the specific fire they brought. Perhaps it's about the concept of bringing what we think God wants into his holy temple instead of what he has asked. It's a beacon warning to all those who want to add to or subtract from God's laws. And it is also a warning to those who would preach only the law without putting the focus on a heart of love and acceptance of Yeshua's gift of salvation. Both behaviors are strange fire in the presence of this holy God, and both can get you burned. Those who've become followers of Yeshua, the ones who accept his salvation and have decided to take up their cross, they receive the necessary covering. For some reason, blood will allow for this closeness to the Lord, but only Yeshua's blood can give full access to all people. Sin produce the death that put us in a state of impassable disconnection to the God who authored us. Christ gives us a means to return to that Garden of Eden state, to that unity. So when Yeshua says, you are the light of the world, there is now something about it that is literal. In the spiritual realm, you literally carry the fire of God. This is not just a figure of speech. Upon receiving the fire of God, something is changed. When the bride gets to return to the groom as prophesied, she's given white robes. She's glowing. In Revelation, the bride and the city of Jerusalem are glowing like a very bright gem in the light. It's easy to visualize our human view of angels in this scene. Bright, shining, glowing. And light has qualities that God shows us in the beginning and teaches us how to adopt throughout Scripture. One of the most intriguing qualities to me is that light, by its very nature, defines. Without light, you cannot see what is in the space around you. Moving and living become dangerous. But light shows you where the edges and pitfalls and holes are. It gives you the ability to cook and clean, to write and create. Light tells you what one thing is versus another. In this sense, The spiritual light of God has always been very clear in telling us what is good and what is not, what is sin and what is righteousness. In fact, at the very beginning, when God is the only light, he's also using that light to define things, earth from sky and water and defining the moon and the sun. God, the great light, has the right to define things as they are. In fact, he's the only one that has the right to do this. 
Light reveals what is hiding in the darkness and exposes it for all of its ability to destroy. It is why revealing addictions and sin is considered a healthy act in scripture and an important one in the realm of psychology. That lighted up definition, that light of truth, immediately weakens the power of such human challenges. You must be able to see it to battle it. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. And once you see it, you understand the weapons you need. Light is by far one of the most important tools for the physical realm to exist and clearly for the spiritual realm to flourish. We can't physically see our glow with our physical eyes any longer. Sin separated us from that part of our Heavenly Father, but perhaps it is God's intention to make you into a full-blown fire, a walking light, able to discern right and wrong, good and evil, and able to define the spaces you enter. Perhaps Yeshua meant that you are literally the light of the world. You are made to glow, and I'm becoming more convinced of this. The believer is called to walk into every space with the holy light of God, able to discern right from wrong, and not fearing the definitions that God has given things, not fearing to separate one thing out from another. In fact, we are called to be a holy people, and holy means set apart. You should be able to walk into any situation with the light of God and set things apart one thing from another. This is what Christ actually did. When he came back, he said, I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill, telling everyone that he came to fill full of meaning the laws of God and to rightly discern what was his and what was not. When he says he is the light of the world, he is also saying he is just like his father in heaven. He is able to define He is the bearer of truth, and that ultimate truth brings light, and light is life. Without light, nothing can grow. Without light, we have no plants, which means we have no animals, which means we have no life. It is necessary for seeds to be able to burst from the ground and for fruit to be produced. Light is essential, and that truth-bearing, that call on your life, Sometimes it's really hard. Sometimes you might be the only light in a dark space, but if you hide your light under a bushel, then no one will be able to see the pitfalls in the room, and many suffer. It's why God gave us the Great Commission, to go and make disciples, to baptize them in His name, and to teach them to obey, because the truth of the Word of God is a great definer. It is a light, just like David said. It will show the way, so that instead of falling to the right or left, instead of ending up in enemy territory unknown, you can see where you are. You know where you're going. You can see the signs, the signs of God's things and the signs of the world's things. You take the turn you're supposed to. It won't be easy. I don't think being in the light is ever easy. You stand out like a sore thumb, right? No one can miss when you are being the ultimate light. It just can't be helped. And sometimes it's your joy and people are attracted to that and sometimes it's your truth and people are offended by it. But you are called to be the light, just like Christ. And Christ said he was the light. 
just like his heavenly father. Someday that fire of God will destroy all of the enemies of God. And I certainly want to be on his side. I want to be the light. Thanks for joining me today. I'm Rachel Amaday. This is The Spiritual Exercises. I hope you will join me again later this week.